Welcome to the new Israel Bible Podcast with me, your host, Cindy Parker. I am an author, speaker, and professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I love having geeky conversations with people about new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we need to be aware that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. This week, I sit down with Dr. Yeshaya Gruber to discuss the name of God. And right off the bat, I'm curious because we start with what seem to be simplistic questions, but they have significant implications for how we understand the biblical text. In English Bibles, we have the word God with a little G, which is different from God with a capital G. But that's not the name of God, right? And what does that word God have to do with not taking the name of God in vain? And what happens when we look at the Hebrew word for God, which is Elohim, which is a word that can be translated as a singular or a plural? Plus, when you scan online materials, there are all kinds of Bible studies and sermon series about the multiple names of God. El Shaddai, El Roy, Emmanuel. So what do we mean when we talk about the name of God? And all of this before I even have a chance to ask, why is it that we don't know how to pronounce God's personal name? Oh, we just have so much to talk about. Dr. Gruber and I both grabbed our drinks and found quiet rooms in our different houses, in our different time zones, in our different countries. And we started off by discussing some of the basic essentials about the name of God. The title God, or we use this word God, but it's really quite generic. It just kind of means a supreme being. And people of all religions use this title, God. So that's not actually what we're talking about today, right? That's a very good point, Cindy. Let me start maybe with Japanese. Because this is something that came up uh, recently in conversation (laughs) with someone. And uh, we were talking about the different ideas that people have in different cultures, different languages, Mm -hmm. how they talk about God or the divine, the spiritual world. And in Japanese, you have this word, kami which refers to the spirit world. And there are hundreds or thousands of kami, which are spirits or gods Hmm. in in the Japanese language and culture. So the question arose of how you use the Japanese language to talk about biblical realities. And the interesting thing is that this actually corresponds fairly well to the way that biblical Hebrew works, because Elohim, as you were suggesting, the generic word that refers to the supernatural or to God, Mm can refer to a variety of beings that are sort of above Mm -hmm. humans in some sense. And the word itself is a plural word, right? Elohim. 
it it's is yes it is morphologically plural. yes morphologically yes, plural, yes, yes. which is to say it has a plural <laughs> suffix a plural ending yeah and grammatically speaking in terms of the way it functions in a sentence it can be either singular or plural in the very first verse of the hebrew bible we have the words bereshit bara elohim mm -hmm. uh, which can be translated in in many ways already which right. is a fascinating <laughs> fact about hebrew but traditionally it's translated in the beginning god created and the word for God hmm. is Elohim, mm -hmm. and the verb that's used is in the singular. Mm -hmm. So it's a word that has a plural ending, Elohim, but the verb is conjugated in the singular. So that tells us that in this case, it's talking about one being. Or, you know, some people would argue collectively, the whole supernatural, you could say, mm -hmm. um, as one. Or people, you know, obviously in Christianity, there were other interpretations of this as well. But essentially it's saying there is a being, mm -hmm. which uh, is described as Elohim, that took this action. In other places in the Hebrew Bible, you have Elohim used with a plural verb, mm -hmm. which suggests that it's more than one being. Right. And so in that instance, context rules, right? You have to read the whole entire thing within the grammatical context of the whole verse. Yes, context is always important, and we can't really understand a single word without its context and, in, you know, without the other words around it. And this is why languages are difficult to understand. I mean, it's one reason, at least. Uh, words also change their meaning over time. Here we're talking yeah. about ancient texts yeah. that were written long ago and may go back to spoken oral traditions from even earlier. So words can change their meaning over time. They can have from our perspective, at least different functions, depending on the other words that surround them. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe this sounds a little bit technical, but the point that we're, we're trying to get to is to say that, yes, this word Elohim, or in our English language, also God, that's not the name of God. And that's not yeah. what uh, the course that I offered or that I offer yeah. at Israel Bible Center is about. Uh, when we talk about the name of God, we're talking about even another word that's much more specific than this generic yes. God or gods, Elohim. And even before we get to the name of God, I think even just the title is interesting because if you compare it to various Bible studies that are out there or sermon series that people have done in the past, there's lots of a study of all the names of God. Because we have things like Elohim, El Shaddai, El Roy. We have all these different names of God. Mm -hmm. But your course is called The Singular, The Name of God. Yes. So why is that? And how is how can you call it a singular name when other people might initially instinctually think there are multiple names for God? What's well, the that's, a, that's a very good question really, and very important. And at the same time, just the fact that we ask this question now, and probably many people in the audience are at the edge of their seats waiting to hear the answer. Um, <laughs> but just the, fact, <laughs> <laughs> just the fact that we have to ask this question now shows how distant we are yep. from the original Hebrew text. Yeah. Because it means that one of the most important elements of the original, if not the most important word, in the original, has really been lost to modern mm -hmm. understanding because you have in almost 7,000 places in the Hebrew Bible, mm -hmm. the name of God. And yes, you're right. There are these other descriptions of God, or you could even call them names of God, if you like. El Shaddai is, is one that you mentioned. You know, mm -hmm. they are perhaps 
ways in which you could, you, you could perhaps say that these are also names of God, but they're more descriptive. They're more yeah. saying he's a provider or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is in the Hebrew Bible, what we would call, I guess, the proper name of God. Ah, this is an important fact. We want to learn about God's personal name, but that name is different from his other names that function like a descriptor. So for example, Cindy is my personal name. Most amazing professor of Holy Land studies, a descriptor. So how do we know the difference between God's name and his descriptors? The fact that we don't immediately see this on every page of the Bible is because we're reading in translations that have been influenced by a long history of translation and transliteration and substitution. And so one of the most important aspects of the original has actually vanished, so Mm. to speak, from the pages. So maybe we'll get into that a little bit more in our conversation. Absolutely. So even when we start talking about the name of God, do we have... And this is a leading question because I know that we do. (laughs) But do we have times or places in the biblical text in which God is referring to himself by his own name? And is that different than when humans are repeating what that name is? Hmm. Well, you have many, many examples in the Hebrew Bible where we read something like ani, which is the Hebrew word for I, mm-hmm. and then these four letters, yud Hey vav Hey in Hebrew, which uh, scholars call the Tetragrammaton. It's just a fancy name that means four letters. Yeah. The name of four letters, the Tetragrammaton, yud Hey vav Hey, uh, sometimes written in English as Y-H-W-H or mm-hmm. Y-H-V-H, either one. And the reason I'm giving the letters is because we don't know exactly how to pronounce this name today. But all signs, all indications are that in the ancient world, people did pronounce this name, of course, mm. just like any other Hebrew word or any other name. You know, it's, uh, it's a name that they would have said, and they used it to refer to a particular God is probably the best way of saying it. Mm. So if you think about the world of the ancient Near East, or in fact, the ancient world in general, people often associated a particular God with a particular land and a particular people. And the Bible is no different in this respect from other ancient texts. It actually specifies a particular land, Canaan, later Israel, that has a particular God who has particular rules, just like all the other gods did. um, Ways that people have to live in that land to be his people and to be acceptable to him. And it gives this God, this particular God, a name that distinguishes this God from all the other gods, deities, beings, that people might uh, believe in or worship or follow in some way. So that that name that distinguishes this particular God is yud heh vav the Tetragrammaton. Now, the the plot twist here... Yes, I love a good plot twist. (laughs) The plot twist is that this particular God of this little, somewhat insignificant spot of land in the Middle East, also, it turns out, happens to be the creator of the entire universe. (laughs) which is really interesting. Now, that is connected to the meaning of the name, in my view, as well. (laughs) 
Dr. Gruber mentioned that the Israelites were in an insignificant land. Does that fact surprise you? Because the Israelites were not the significant international influencers we sometimes think that they were when we read a text that is all about their history. And when Dr. Gruber mentioned this significant geographical fact, my internal geographer got so excited about these details and I didn't want to let that tidbit go, but I think I will have to save it for another podcast. In the meantime, if you are curious, you can dive into some of those important geographical issues in the IBC course titled, Listening to the Land of the Bible. But let's get back to what Dr. Gruber was saying about the Supreme God, who is both a local God and also the creator of the entire universe. But, but basically, if we go back to the Japanese example, you could say that in the way that people thought in the ancient world, and I think in the way that the ancient Hebrew Bible is written, more or less, the text talks about all of these kami, all of these Elohim, all of the, you know, people serving their different gods. But there's one of them that is supreme, that is, he is both a local god of a particular territory, but also, it turns out, the creator of the entire universe, and, and therefore the one that all peoples actually should be worshiping. Yeah. So why does it matter? This question comes up, why does it matter, in my head, only because as I study the Hebrew Bible, names are very significant. They mean something. I mean, sometimes they tell you where a plot is going. You know, someone is named sickly or dying. You're like, I I, I don't think they're going to last very long in this story. I'm just guessing, right? So What do you think the significance of actually taking the time to take your course to look at and study the name of God? Why is that so significant in the Hebrew Bible and even in Second Temple literature? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, to be honest, it will just really open up a whole new world of understanding Mm. of the text in multiple ways. I mean, there are so many cases where the scripture says something like, yud heh vav elohecha yud your God, to Israel. Um, and people read it in their, let's say, English translation, but it's similar in many languages. Uh, it just says, the Lord your God. Right. And it doesn't sound like anything special or anything different. Right, it feels somewhat removed, right? Because Lord and God both seem like authoritarian titles. They do somewhat, and they also seem very generic and yeah. redundant. But what it's saying is, this particular God with this particular name, that's the God that is your God. And you are not Mm. supposed to serve other gods. So for example, in the, um, what we call the Decalogue or the 10 commandments, you shall not have any other gods before me because this God, Yudhevave, is a jealous God. He doesn't like mixing his service with with the service of other Elohim. So that's part of the character of this particular God, the God of Israel, the God, the creator of the universe. So that's one way in which, uh, you know, the text just opens up. If you understand what it's actually saying, if you understand that there's a particular name there, it's identifying a particular God. And another another way is that just uh, certain stories can't really be understood without this recognition. I mean, there, there are some cases where it's contrasting, for example, prophets, general prophets of gods or God with prophets of yud with prophets of this particular God. Hmm. And you miss that. 
in translation. Now, I will say that in, the, in some modern languages, they actually tried to preserve this. Uh, for example, in, in Spanish, traditionally, the term Hilva is used for the name of mm. God. Mm. In some more experimental or unusual translations, they also try to reproduce the name of God. And I think this gives a, a better impression of the original because it is such a key aspect of how the text is written. Yeah. Um, going back all the way to Genesis. Yeah. Well, and potentially for some people, when they think of this yod heh vav where it comes up, it is, like you said, it's used from the very beginning in the creation accounts, even of Genesis. But maybe people think immediately more to the Exodus story and to Moses when Moses mm-hmm. is meeting with God and then God says, I am, you know, but like my name is yod heh vav so, or not even yod heh vav because it's, it's changed a little bit because he is speaking in the first person. So what, what do we learn when God is saying, this is my name and these are the characteristics associated with me? Is that, does that belong in a different category than when people are using, like when Moses then goes to the Israelites and says, yod heh vav sent me to you. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, you're referring, uh, I think, to Exodus 3 yeah. here. And I mean, I, to be honest, I don't like to use the chapter and verse numbers, if at all possible, because that is also not part of the original text. Right. And of course, we have to use them because otherwise we can't find anything. Right. But if we're trying to go back to the original meaning, we should also think about the historical and the cultural context and a scroll that's written as a single text yes. and read yeah. and in that way. So when people actually refer to this chapter and that chapter and 5.3 and 6.18, it actually already distorts the feel of the ancient text a little bit. Nonetheless, we're stuck with it. We've got to use that, but I just, you know, add that proviso. So in the Exodus story, it's it's really interesting and fascinating um, because Moshe, Moses, has this experience with a divine being. He recognizes Mm -hmm. a supernatural being. And... And this being tells him to go back to Egypt, Mm -hmm. essentially, and set my people free. Easy job, right? Of course. Uh, So (laughs) It's only a superpower of the day, no problem. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Not an easy task at all, of course. And Moses didn't want to do it. Uh, He he made a big fuss about it at first. But one of the things that he said is, well, look, I'm going to go back and I'll say that this God appeared to me and told me to come here. And the people will say, what God? Which mm-hmm. God talked to you? What's your name? Who are you? The, he said, they will, they will say to me, Ma Shmo, what is his name? Hmm. Shem being in Hebrew, the word for name. So then you have a really interesting text that follows, which we get into quite a bit in the course, yeah. where this divine being gives Moses his name in a couple different forms, as you were suggesting. Um, there's first Eyeh Asher Eyeh, and then there's Yod Hei Vav Hei. Uh, there's some debate about how to pronounce that, of course. Uh, yeah. We don't know exactly. But, you know, scholars think the best guess reconstruction would be something like Yahweh. So there are a couple different forms, and they're, they're related to each other. But what's the key point here that, that I think um, will be of interest to people reading it is that Moses is saying, the people are going to ask me, you know, which God sent you. And then just a little later in the text, if we want to use these 
numerical uh, conventions, I think it's chapter five, Moses does go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, um, who is this God, yud I've never heard of him. I don't know this God. Yeah. And I'm not going to let his people go. So you see that in the mindset of the time, there were these various gods associated with various peoples. Yeah. And now in the Exodus story, this new God, Yahweh or yud is making an appearance, an international appearance and saying, this is my people. I'm choosing this people. I'm bringing them back to my land, which is the land that I've chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you need to respect this name. And people at the time are a little confused. They're like, who is this God? We don't know about right. this particular right. God. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of the biblical story tells us about this particular God. Yeah. I love that you bring up how significant the name is um, and also the geography because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, Deuteronomy is my favorite book and I try to insert it into every conversation. And so I'm inserting it now. <laughs> but it's interesting because in Deuteronomy, there are very specific instructions given to the people that it's putting in contrast the God of the Israelites and the other Canaanite gods. And so there's a very specific, this is in chapter seven and also in chapter 12, but go in and kind of erase or take down, destroy Hmm. the names of all these other gods because there is only one place I put my name, right? There's, so there's quite a distinct contrast between all the names of all the other deities recognized by the Canaanites and the Israelites are told, make sure that you only are remembering and only serving this one God who has one name, who is going to live among his people in this particular mm. geography. Yes, and it's really interesting. I mean, in the course, we get into various geographical theories about mm. where the knowledge of yud he came from. I mean, did Moshe find this in Midian, for example, which mm. is uh, close to the promised land there? Um, and, and other theories like that. Uh, one way to understand the biblical text is that yud he already was the god of Canaan, um, because he says basically, you know, erase, remove these peoples and erase their gods because they haven't followed my ways. You know, if they were yeah. following my ways, they could live in my land, but they haven't. Um, and that's why they have to be removed. And then mm-hmm. the same mm-hmm. God says later to the Israelites, you know, if you don't follow my that's ways, right. you're also going to be kicked out of this land. This right. is my land. Whoever lives here has to follow certain rules. So that's a really interesting uh, point. And of course, I know you you are a specialist in uh, the geographical aspects. So maybe I'll ask you later some questions about that as well, uh, if you're open to that. Um, Of course. But I realized that I didn't actually answer your previous question, even though you asked it a couple different ways. Yeah. Um, I still didn't answer that. I was going to keep circling back. I'm like, at some point, he's going to answer my question. Um, Because you wanted to know about when God uses his own name. Yeah. And when people use it. So I don't know if it's exactly a different category of things, but but what I would say is that when when God uses his name in a particular textual context, it seems to be a sign of, you know, take this very seriously. Because mm. what I'm saying here is connected, it's connected to my name. Now, in Hebrew, Shem, name, mm-hmm. and to a certain extent in English also, it's not just, you know, the sound or the word that makes up your name. It has an element of, let's say, reputation yeah. or character. 
-hmm. of how you're known, of who you, who you really are and how you are known. And that's, that's linked to what you were saying about how in the Hebrew Bible, many of the stories, you know, the name actually encodes a message about what's going to happen yeah. in the story. Because the name is telling you who the person really is and how they are to be known. Um, in Isaiah, later on, uh, there's a place that, that uses the expression Yad Vashem, which is the yeah. name that was taken in modern Israel for the Holocaust Memorial Museum uh, in Jerusalem. So Yad Vashem literally means a hand and a name, something like that. Um, but the context is that God is going to give certain people who follow his ways Yad Vashem, a hand and a name. Well, that's an interesting gift. I mean, yeah. <laughs> little puzzling. But what it means is, and it's often translated as something like a name and a memorial or a remembrance, something like this. But the point is, however we translate it, that Shem here is not just a name. It's, hmm. it's a remembrance. It's, it's a reputation, hmm. uh, an expression of who the person is and, and that they deserve to be honored. So in, that's in the case of a good name, of course, uh, would, would, be, would go with honor. Yeah. So when God talks about his own name, it's often in the context of something that, that you're supposed to recognize is extremely essential to, to who he is or, or how he is to be known. Yeah. Okay. So this is building on what we're saying, but also kind of backing up a little bit. This mm -hmm. is going into... Must be another question I didn't answer, huh? No, uh, no, it, it has more to do with why did you choose to teach this particular course? And, and actually the follow-up to that is, why is this course necessary or why is this even a mystery? Right? Because mm. I just think this name of God has to have been the subject of interest to so many people. The, the Israelites, the Jews, the Christians later on. I just, there's so much work that's been done on Hebrew translation, on the Hebrew language. And then we have all these ancient documents in a few different languages. So with all the material and all of the interest, why is this a mystery? And why this particular course? Why the necessity hmm. for this course? Let's try to remember how I came to choose this topic for the course yeah. first, and then we'll go to the other things, which Great. are also very interesting. I do remember when Ellie asked me to come up with a new course that I actually tried several times to teach something else. Aside from this, <laughs> I had a lot of other ideas, which I thought were great ideas. Um, but in the end, we, we settled on this one. And I think it was because we recognized just the... The, first of all, the importance, like we said, in the original text um, that was being neglected in people's understanding. Yeah. You know, many people are are even unaware that there is a name of God, in fact. Like you were right. saying, they may think, they may even know there are lots of names of God, but they don't even know that there's a particular personal name of God that's used almost 7,000 times in the Hebrew yeah. Bible. And by the way, alluded to in later writings as well that we have in yeah. Greek. So we're just talking about the Hebrew Bible so forth, so, so far. Th that was one aspect. And secondly, among those who who are aware of this name, there seems to be a fair degree of confusion over mm. the meaning, the pronunciation, the history, how to understand it. So it just seemed like a really important topic that also wasn't being covered in any clarity or depth in a way that would help and satisfy people. 
Now, I'm not saying that this course is going to satisfy or answer all of your questions about the name of God. Uh, I would almost say, you know, may it never be. You should always have more questions about (laughs) this. And in fact, as I say in the course, it's really only a a very beginning because we look at a few of the places where the name of God appears and there are thousands more to look at to gain deeper insights. But I do think it's a worthwhile and good beginning for looking at this topic. No, I think it's great because actually something there's something about identifying the fact that there is a mystery Hmm. and then showing people it's almost like standing at a trailhead and there are seven or eight different trails with the knowledge that those are going to break into different trails. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you very expertly bring people to this juncture and say, look at how amazing and how curious we can be. Now go explore. Right. Well, thank you. And people are responding. It's one of the most taken courses at IBC. Yes. Well, thank you very much for saying that, Cindy. And what I was going to just add to what I was saying before is that it seems that the students really feel that this is worthwhile as well and that it helps them. I've gotten many comments for which I'm very appreciative uh, and I feel gratified because it's really the goal uh, from students who say that, you know what? This is the most balanced, informed perspective that I've ever gotten on this. I've heard so many crazy theories, so many extreme points of view. And finally, there's just like a reasoned approach to the topic that really helps me (laughs) understand um, what's going on. Yeah. Now, that said, I'm not perfect. I don't have perfect knowledge. Um, You know, maybe I made mistakes as well. But I certainly tried to present um, a reasonable, informed overview of this topic so that people would have a basic understanding to go further and would have a beginning of knowledge, let's say, of this most important topic. Yeah. Um, so I like the way you describe it of many paths opening up. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually something that we find with anything in the scriptures mm-hmm. that we study, that there are so many additional avenues for discovery. Yeah. We have barely scratched the surface. So join me next week for part two of the conversation regarding God's name with Dr. Gruber. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcast and tell your family and your friends to listen as well. I welcome your contributions to the conversation. So share your thoughts with me on Twitter. I'm at Cindy Parker, PhD. That is C-Y-N-D-I Parker, PhD. Or send me an email at cparker at israelbiblecenter.com. If you like what you hear in this podcast, you will love the wide variety of courses available online at the Israel Bible Center. Those courses dive into ancient Jewish literature, history, Jewish culture and customs, rabbinics, theology, and biblical languages. Thanks to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thanks to you for listening in and being curious about the Bible. I look forward to our conversation next week when we really get at the heart of the study on the name of God. Even if I don't know exactly how 
you know, someone in Israel pronounced it in the 8th century BCE, for example. <laughs> I can still come to know this creator, the one who made everything that is. That's what it's about. It's not about coming to know some tiny fact of pronunciation. Mm -hmm. It's about something much grander and more magnificent than that.